If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Lembit Opic. You're listening to Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the Lemidopic Show here on TNT. Three hours of news and comment on Saturday and Sunday in the mornings in the UK, uh, in the afternoons and evenings in Australia and all points in between. This is where we dig deep into the current affairs stories of the day. We bring you the facts as we see them and we express opinions too. They are allowed. But what we don't allow ourselves to do is give you opinions and dress them up as facts. Your only mission is to hear what you hear and make an opinion for yourself. The only qualification to being a successful viewer or listener of TNT is having the capacity to make your own opinions. In that case, you're most welcome to be here. If not, then hopefully uh, you will start having the opportunity to see past the conformity which is being imposed upon us all over the world and hear it like it is from people who sincerely hold their views here not always agreeing of course but always doing their best to be data-based uh, coming up in this hour we have a fantastic guest brian gregory who analyzes climate science and has presented to me something that the world needs to hear it could be that carbon dioxide levels aren't just normal they're actually lower than they were just over 200 years ago, crucially before the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Can this be true, given all of the information that you've been given across the last 20 years? Well, the problem is, it's probably not information. It's actually proper propaganda, I would suggest. But let's find out what Brian has to say in a few minutes' time, and then you can draw your own conclusions. Uh, before that, I want to raise two stories, which I've noticed in Reuters, in fact. Uh, one is that China defies sanctions to make Russia its biggest oil supplier in 2023. Essentially, you can see the story in detail for yourself, but essentially China has decided that Russia is a good place to buy its fossil fuels. This seems to be causing some ire uh, amongst those politicians and world leaders who don't like it very much when Russia has any allies at all. But here's the irony. If this is correct, and it does seem to be a fact, that means that the products that the West buys from China are in large part being generated using Russian oil. Let me make that clear. It means when you buy someone someone's product from China, you're actually paying Russia for its oil. That's the beauty of sanctions. In a global economy, all you end up really doing is harming yourself. There's got to be a better way to solve these problems than that. There's a compounding factor here. For all the saber rattling against China, it is set to become the world's largest economy. All we seem to have done, as I've said before, is hand the powerhouse of economic activity and manufacturing, where lots of CO2 emissions come from, to countries that aren't so worried about generating CO2 emissions. We are in no position to condemn countries to which we pay trillions to build the stuff that we want to buy for creating carbon dioxide in the process. As was made abundantly clear earlier on in my discussions with Dan and Stan in Wales, by shutting down the Welsh steel industry and exporting it to, say, India or China, we don't make one iota of difference to the amount of carbon dioxide our products 
the ones that we pay for, the ones that we instruct these countries to make for us, will generate in terms of carbon dioxide. As such, all we've done is hobble our economy and give the profits to someone else. Nice work, guys. The other story I want to mention is the rather curious case of bushfires in Australia. Uh, once again, it's heat wave season. It's getting very hot in some places. I envy you, to be honest with you. It's about three Celsius and wet here in the United Kingdom. But it's always presented as if these bushfires are unknown in the past, as if this is the worst time in history for life-threatening natural disasters and that we are causing it. The two questions that I would have for you in Australia, and do please put your answers in the chat or phone in. Do you have the sense that the climate has changed? And I think it does change. So if so, I'd be interested to hear how it's changed. And secondly, do you have information about something I read about extensively some years ago, namely that the bushfire problem is in large part caused by the abolition of traditional and in many cases Aboriginal methods to have controlled burning to stop the undergrowth drying out and becoming an incendiary device for entire forests. Bushfires have existed long before the human race ever set foot on planet Earth. Lightning strikes and droughts did the job, and it's an essential part of the natural cycle. So let me summarize the question, and obviously it's a loaded one in this way. Do you have genuine concerns that things have changed? in terms of bushfires and climate? And if so, who do you blame? Humanity or nature? And if you do blame humanity, and I don't, then even then, surely adaptation and remembering the traditional ways to manage bushfires and manage the undergrowth would be a better solution. One last humble suggestion. It's only me. I'm not a town planner. But perhaps if you don't want your house to burn down, you shouldn't build it in a forest. You can say what you like uh, on chat. I don't take offense. I'd love to hear your views on that. But coming up next, without further ado, I want to introduce a man who will upend perhaps what you think about carbon dioxide and suggest the fakery of the carbon dioxide climate crisis can be dispelled simply by looking at research. All of that with me, Lembitopic, on the Lembitopic show right here on TNT. Your voice heard here. The government needs to step up and do its job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. So let me let me introduce you to the man. Let me introduce you to the man who uh hush now, Brian. I want to give you a good 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 introduction here. Be grateful. <laughs> um uh I know that uh Brian Gregory has been studying climate and climate change at what I consider a professional level for many years uh, as an academic pursuit, but also with a professional interest uh, because he's in the Alliance of British Drivers. Uh, Brian, uh, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Bless you, Lambert. Yes. I'm, 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 you. Allergic to, I'm allergic to facts, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I think you're allergic to, to something else. The BS is probably what you're allergic uh, to. You're, you're probably right. I, I just get really annoyed when I see the wanton destruction of our economy and actually our lifestyle uh, for fatuous yeah. reasons. Uh, and yeah. I suppose what I'm really excited with you about is you have been doing looking at some research, which until you sent me an advanced copy during the week, which is why you're on the show, I hadn't even considered. Not that yeah. carbon dioxide 
was at far higher levels than it is today in the distant past. But the carbon dioxide may have been at higher levels shortly before the Industrial Revolution. Before we get into that, though, Brian, tell me, what is fueling your interest in climate science? Well, I believe that climate science has been perverted to uh, actually use to control people because we can't control the climate for the reasons that we'll be discussing shortly. But if you, cre if you create fear and convince people that they are in an existential crisis, then they will accept all sorts of impositions on their personal liberty and freedom because they think what I'll do, as they used to say in an old British uh, programme. And in fact, we're anything but. We're probably in one of the best positions that we've been in materially and in terms of energy, energy production um, and energy consumption, as long as we don't continue down this crazy decarbonisation route. Because the first thing to say is that we are absolutely, totally dependent on three things, water, oxygen and carbon dioxide. Without those things, we are dead. And carbon dioxide is an essential part of the natural cycle of this planet. You actually breathe out 100 times more carbon dioxide in your exhaled breath than you take in from the ambient air, ambient air. So, you know, to think that carbon dioxide can be a pollutant is frankly, um, it's, it's a mental illness or worse. That's a, strong, that's a strong phrase, Brian. There'll be those who from the green movement and particularly from the fundamentalist catastrophist uh, climate movement will be shouting saying brian you are a climate change denier no Get with the program they, they they are the climate science deniers i'm not denying climate change at all we've had it for 4.5 billion years and we'll have it until the planet gets consumed by a, a, a ballooning sun we'll have it for another four and a half billion years so we're, you know, in the middle of the, the life cycle of this planet and we've had climate change from day one and we'll have climate change to day, you know, nine billion when the planet gets consumed because the sun has stopped burning hydrogen, started burning helium and balloons out into a red giant and consumes the earth. So in the long term, the only person who might be really worried about that is Joe Biden. He'll be going for his 200th uh, or two millionth uh, presidential term. Yeah, yeah, possibly. For, yeah. for the for the long term, we're talking billions of years there for the for the end of the world as we know it. In the yeah. short term, you only have to scroll down on any search engine in the internet to see a relentless mm. diet of stories which says say things like CO two higher now than it's been for 17,000 years. Uh, CO2 has gone up by 50% since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. It's impossible. And I looked before the show, Brian, it's impossible to find a story, if it's out there anyway, which says carbon dioxide levels are normal and comparable to where it was in 1800. So I want to talk about that in just a minute, yeah, in, yeah. In, well, in about five minutes. But before that, let me understand your methodology. Uh, I'm very frustrated when I speak to green fundamentalists because they don't seem to have one. They simply say the consensus or they say everybody knows or they say something like, well, yeah. uh, if you disagree with climate change, you should be cancelled. That's the kind of argument you get. Yeah. What, in contrast, is your methodology? Why should viewers and listeners and I trust what you're going to tell me, which I think is quite groundbreaking in about 10 minutes? 
Well, you've got to look at the facts and not rely on consensus, because if it's consensus, it's not science. Science is actually about destroying consensus with better theories and better explanations of what's happening in the natural world. And anybody who says there's a consensus of scientists, well, that's a very bad thing because it's a it, it's an element of, you know, a, 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 an example of groupthink. And it stops research and it stops scientific advance because people just sit there, you know, with a cup of tea, hands across their chest saying, oh, great, the science is settled. It's wonderful. Science is never settled. There is no such thing as settled science. It should always be trying to break the boundaries and understand things better. And in our current climate, if Einstein had come along and said, look, I've got this new theory about how physics works at, at a, um, a, a macro, a minor sort of nanometric level at a very, very small scale and, and how time and, uh, and matter are related, in the current climate, they would have said, oh, no, no, we've got a consensus. This is how the science works. Go away and buy an ice cream, you know? So they would have ignored people who actually want to try and advance scientific knowledge by challenging consensus. And people that's what like we've Greg got. We've, we've got a cosy groupthink environment where a lot of people are getting very well funded to provide misleading evidence about what's happening in the natural world. The, the, the now faded profile activist Greta Thunberg, who has probably had her day, I suspect, she was fated as uh, almost a visionary, invited, of all places, the United Nations to say, how dare you to world leaders, and getting applause from those world leaders. Why should we listen to you instead of Greta Thunberg? Well, I actually went to school and I went to university and studied chemistry to degree level and then went into industry in the chemical industry uh, from which I'm now retired and I can now spend time looking at, uh, you know, what's actually going on as opposed to what's being reported by the mainstream media. The what mainstream do you say media to are, are, are parroting propaganda. What do you say to those who level an accusation that I experience often well you've got no qualification to talk about that well if if you if you've got a, a good a level in chemistry you can talk about climate but if you've got a degree it gives you a you know a, a slightly stronger position and mm. you, you don't need to dig very long or very far before you start to realize the holes in in the arguments around anthropogenic uh climate change because it's, a, it's a, such a small influence on what, what actually controls our climate that we're not going to make any difference. And, the, if, you know, uh, go on, Lembe, go sorry. Well, I was going to ask you this question, Brian. I will talk over you yeah. for a minute uh, because it's probably where we're heading anyway uh, in this discussion. Uh, what you're saying is that you don't actually have to be a scientific genius to understand the science. There are, there's a, there's a, green activist in fact a member of the green party in the uk who says i don't look at the information you send me lembit or anybody else because i'm not a climatologist i don't understand it i believe in the consensus and nothing you tell me will change my view what would you say to him before we go into the actual facts about co2 what would you say to him open his mind because you've got a closed mind you're not prepared you know you're saying talk to, to the to the hand but you need, to, you need to just look at this very cursorily and start scratching below the surface to find this very large holes in the, in the reasoning train of the people who are promoting this rubbish. Mm. rubbish the, the, first, 
The, the first one is chronology. And when you go back and whatever study you look at and on whatever scale you look at in terms of time, it's always the temperature that changes before the carbon dioxide, atmospheric carbon dioxide level. And that's because that's of something called Henry's law. Um, but, but the point is that the climate science, as they now call it, has actually got the cart before the horse because they're saying the carbon dioxide controls the change in temperature, but it's actually the other way around. It's the temperature that's changed first, and that then causes a change with a delay. And sometimes that delay can be very large, 600 years or so. It causes a change in the atmospheric carbon dioxide level. Let me go into that in a few minutes' time after our break. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, well, I incidentally say to the Green, I say, if you're not going to look at the facts, then there's no point in having the debate because you've reduced your position to one of a religion and yes. you've got the right to have you've got the right to have a, a religious belief but you haven't got the right to impose an a factually nonsensical position on those who don't believe in your cult that's what i tend to say yeah. Yeah, uh, we're absolutely. going to we're going to dive deep into some bombshell revelations that Brian Gregory has shared with me and shortly with you. Uh, I want to know your views as well. Lots coming in on the chat. Go to the TNT site. I'd love to see what you have to say there. Uh, in a moment, we'll be talking about something which should be quite reassuring to you, and you can check up for yourself. All of that uh, with me, Lembotopic, on the Lembotopic Show here on TNT. TNT's Timothy Shea. The race is essentially now Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. Ron disappoints us. We'll be pulling his hat from the ring next and the issue, as always, is why is the Nikki taking so much of the left's money? Well, maybe this will give you a little insight. She credits Hillary Clinton with inspiring her to enter politics, having attended a women's leadership summit at which Hillary spoke. And Nikki said, and I quote, I then had to decide whether I was a Republican or Democrat. See, Nikki has no core beliefs other than doing whatever her globalist masters, paymasters, want her to say. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk so many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Welcome back. Lemidopic here with you for the next 40 minutes. Uh, we have got some bombshell revelations to share with you. See what you think of them. I believe them to be facts. You have the right to generate your own opinion. We're talking about whether carbon dioxide is our friend or enemy. And when was it? At the current levels in the atmosphere. I'll just read some of the comments of the many I'm getting in the chat. Thanks so much for these. Uh, Skippy says the climate loons are merely useful idiots doing the dirty work of the controllers. 
And another one here uh, from Hidden in Plain Sight. CO2 is natural in the planet, which is globally shaped. The levels are lower now than for some time. The climate crisis is failing. It will be proven uh, to even the idiotic defenders of this green fascist agenda if they switch off the lame stream media. Uh, thanks for that. And uh, Red takes this view. Uh, within the first few sentences of this article, nevertheless, humans are not required to consume animal protein. It's a matter of choice. Question, why would you eat animals if it is unnecessary? That's a fair question, Red. I've discussed that before, and I'll see if I can get a guest on to talk about that uh, in the time ahead. Uh, Skippy adds, the environmental lobby has been brown enveloped with funding to only look at man-made carbon uh, emissions and ignore real environmental damage. I do agree with you. We do make do damage, but I don't think it's particularly to the atmosphere. And... Uh, uh, and Blodder said something which we will talk about with Brian, my guest today. The climate crisis will be the lack of carbon dioxide. To explain that, uh, we'll go back to Brian in a minute. Before we do, let's speak to Siv from Sydney about bushfires. Uh, thanks for calling in. No worries, Lambert, and uh, I've finally found the program. That's good. You're at least on before <laughs> the football starts. That's what I'm happy about. Um, <laughs> Grateful for small mercies. <laughs> That's right, yes. Although if you support my team, QPR, you wouldn't be saying that because we keep we, we keep staying in the championship. We haven't got out of the championship yet. But anyway. Um, well, I, look, I support, I support just, Leicester City. I feel your pain. <laughs> Let's carry on. <laughs> <laughs> look, just on um, the bushfire thing, so two parts to that. If I, I'll try and keep this brief. Um, so the first part is... Um, the Aboriginal way of doing things in terms of bushfires, well, they've known about all that for thousands of years and only now we're sort of rediscovering that and we're trying to put some of those practices back in. So that's the first part of that. Um, and they did manage the land by burning it in a certain way. And they, they uh, I guess, if you like, had uh, some kind of understanding of science. So that's the first part of it. The second part is that um, a lot of the bushfires can be caused by things that, well, there's, there's, there's lightning strikes that can cause them. That's a natural thing that causes it. But a lot of them are caused by people deliberately going in there and lighting them anyway. So, you know, people's chucking cigarette butts out the window and this sort of thing. Now, I don't know how much of that still goes on today, but a lot of that, uh, a lot of the causes have been due to people deliberately lighting them. And just on that thing about carbon dioxide before I go, if we take it out of the atmosphere, where do we get the plant food from? Because plants need it. So CF, don't go yet. Don't go yet, CF, because I think Brian wants to come in. But let me just read you one message. Wait a minute, Brian. Molly Bites says, hasn't an activist just been arrested in Canada for causing up to 14 forest fires? And it was put down to global warming. Brian. Yes. Yeah, that was the, this yes. guy's been um, prosecuted in British Columbia for setting, as, as the, your, your contributors just said, deliberately setting fires and, and then, of course, it gets attributed to climate change. But, I mean, the simple, if we come back to the science again, you can't get paper to light up until about 230 Celsius, 233 Fahrenheit 451, like the old film. Um, so unless you've got an ignition source that can get up to 230 Celsius, you're not going to get paper or anything else to burn. So, you know, temperatures of 40 or 50 Celsius don't hack it. They're like, you know, short by 180 degrees. So there has to be another another ignition ignition source, and usually it's human. Yeah, and as thanks. as Siv has said, it's either by accident chucking out cigarette butts, or or not properly damping down a forest fire, or deliberately they've gone out there with some petrol with an accelerant and paper and wood and set the fire. 
And so uh, I think a very had, large proportion of forest fires now are from that source. So last word to you, Seth, before we carry That's right. I was just going to say briefly, we've even had very, we've even had stories of uh, people who've gone in to be volunteer firefighters only to go off and deliberately light the fires so they can be the ones to go in and actually fight them. So, I mean, we've had that happen in the past as well. I mean, that's, that, um, people, people listening to me now are going, how does that happen? Well, it does, and there have been stories of that nature. So thanks again, Leonard. I've, been, I've enjoyed having our chat, and I look forward to driving him out again, mate. Yeah. Thank you. So, and I'll, I'm on on Saturdays and Sundays, three hours at a time, where we dig deep. Really appreciate your call, Seth. Uh, if you've got other views on that, do share them in the chat. And Brian, thanks for your involvement there as Sorry. well. Uh, I want I, to I get. Find, I find Siv's comment there quite a bit. It's sort of a strange application of the Louis LeBlanc principle, you know, in the French Revolution, where they used to send teams around to dig holes and then another team around to fill them up again to, to keep people in employment. But this is, a, you know, a slightly perverted use of that kind of sort of approach. If only they did that with potholes in Britain. But well, exactly. Yes, that. very much so. Um, let's get to the document that you sent me, which I found absolutely <laughs> fascinating and worthy of yeah. your time on the show today. Your okay. claim not to mess about is that carbon dioxide levels were the same or higher in the recent past. Now that goes against just about anything you find in the media and just yeah. about anything you find in the internet. Justify yeah. Well, it. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think the, the paper you're talking about, Beck's paper, Beck yes. uh, was, he's, he's dead now, unfortunately, a scientist who decided to look at the claim that carbon dioxide levels were only at about 100 and par 180 parts per million volume um, before we started the Industrial Revolution. And and the, the people who are tasked by IPCC, and don't forget, this is an intergovernmental panel on climate control. So it's politicians, not really scientists. And the science, they selectively extract and draw the, the conclusions they want and discard the conclusions they don't. And they tasked with us, I can't remember the researcher's name, but he looked through all the evidence and he discarded a large amount of quite valid and carefully researched scientific evidence from the, the 1700s onwards about what atmospheric carbon dioxide levels were like. And many of the researchers understood that, that it, it, at that time, we needed to, to try to check just how accurate the measurements were and make corrections for the way the experiments are done so that you didn't over or underestimate how much carbon dioxide there was in the atmosphere. And what Beck found was that they, a lot of those studies were discarded and they were properly and scientifically done by the scientific method, you know, checks and balances. And, they, and a lot of them found levels of carbon dioxide in the pre-industrial era that are a lot higher than the IPCC claims. Like, you know, 380, 400 ppm was not uncommon. And of course, CO2... Uh -huh levels vary during the day quite quite widely they don't stay at a, a, a constant level because during the the day photosynthesis goes on and carbon dioxide gets absorbed by plants and then in the evening they they transpire and they release some of that carbon dioxide uh, some of the carbon dioxide so nighttime co2 levels are higher than daytime ones because there's no photosynthesis right so how long ago are you saying that carbon dioxide levels according to this research were comparable to today uh, in the early to mid 1700s, you know the the, the values that were being seen were were close, 400 ish, and there's there, obviously there's some errors in terms of, but certainly 
close to the levels that they are now. So are you being the, and, and then the the, then we had the we had the little ice age and there was a dip and carbon dioxide when the temperature goes down it's more soluble in in the Earth's oceans so carbon dioxide gets sucked out of the atmosphere and then when it gets colder as, hmm? when it gets but colder yes yeah it's called Henry's law any scientist worth his salt knows what Henry's law is so to be clear Henry's law states that when an ocean gets warmer it it coughs out carbon dioxide when the ocean gets colder it sucks in carbon dioxide that's what you're saying yes in which case the obvious inescapable inference if henry's law is indeed correct is that carbon dioxide doesn't heat up the the uh, the oceans the oceans release carbon dioxide when they're warmer yeah that's exactly the opposite of what we're being told yeah that's it is it <laughs> End yeah, that's of play. it, yeah. that, that's it. I'm afraid you know and as I said when you look at the chronology and the, the problem is our, our our climate is a, a chaotic coupled non-linear system with so many degrees of freedom that we don't have enough computing power to actually properly simulate it we can't simulate even the 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 effects within a sort of a cubic meter of atmosphere especially not relating to cloud formation which is the biggest deficiency of the current climate models they don't take any account of changes in uh, in in low level cloud which is a huge influence on temperature um and so you know you're already working with with only half a deck of cards or less so i'm i'm dwelling on this because what you're inviting people to accept is the antithesis the exact opposite of what the climate catastrophists claim yeah i've looked at the data and my understanding of the data that you sent me in the research is number one it's not based on a single report but on multiple reports yeah. uh, i'll talk about whether it's selective or not a little bit later on the second thing that it seems to tell me is that actually the reason that carbon dioxide may have been pretty high in the 1700s was because the medieval, medieval warm age, uh, warm period, a couple of hundred yeah. years before then, had caused the oceans to spit it out. And then we yeah. had the Little Ice Age, and that caused the oceans to suck it back in again. So it went down to around 1850 or so. And then things started getting warmer, so it's been releasing it again. That's that's really in simple lay terms what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in, in geological timescale terms, we are at the end of um, the uh, Pleistocene Ice Age, and we've been coming out of it, which is why temperatures have been going up. Um, and, and even within um, that period and, and the, the Holocene, which is the sort of last 10, 15,000 years, we've seen very big changes. We had, we've had three warming periods. We've had the Minoan warming period, which was, I don't know, two-ish, maybe three degrees above here. Then we had the Roman warm period, which was slightly less warm. And then the medieval um, warm period, which also was, so we've got a trend going down like that in the peaks. And then we've, we've had the latest, which is the, the modern warming, um, you know, since the, the uh, late 1700s or so, when the temperatures have rebounded back towards the, the, the higher levels that they were in earlier in the Holocene. But the worry is that the trend is downwards in terms of the peaks that we're seeing. And, and this is the sort of 
profile that you tend to see when the the, the sun is going into uh, what's called a grand solar minimum. And a grand solar minimum means solar activity goes down to very low levels, low levels of sunspots, low levels of solar wind. And it's the solar wind that protects us from one of the other major influences on climate that the IPCC doesn't look at, which is cosmic ray incidence. Because cosmic rays, which are the, the result, the, 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 um, the, the, the stream of protons and subatomic particles and whatnot that, that are created by the extinction of, of stars, that actually comes into our atmosphere. And if the solar activity and, and our mag magnetosphere are weak, that seeds cloud formation at a high level. Sorry, high level of low level cloud, if you see what I mean. The level of cloud goes up. And of course, the more cloud there is, that is the natural counterbalance to the radiation we receive from the sun in that it blocks most of it off and reflects it straight back into space. And it never gets absorbed by the Earth's oceans, which, which ultimately they are the, the determinants of climate on a shorter scale because the, the ocean, um, the first top three meters of the ocean have about the same amount of energy absorption capability as the whole of the atmosphere. Because of so the increased density of water compared to air. Exactly. And those, it's it's the the temperature of our oceans ultimately which determine our climate. Right. Let's get the reason I'm really dwelling on this is because this is dynamite. This is TNT, if you like. And <laughs> uh, if what you're saying is correct, not only have we been misled about historic levels of carbon dioxide to suit the the agenda, the the green yeah. crisis agenda, but in addition to that whatever the level of carbon dioxide which i know is a bit of a greenhouse gas nothing like as important as water vapor believe it or not no it's but not absolutely it's a not. bit of a greenhouse gas just do something technical called absorption spectrums and so on but basically not only is co2 not driving climate co2 is following climate yes so yeah. we so whatever we do to our human emissions of carbon dioxide isn't really going to change what the climate does or not in a measurable no, way and the other point is IPCC is obsessed with man-made levels of carbon dioxide. The problem is that's only about three and a half percent per annum of the emissions. The other 96 and a half percent from natural sources over which we've got no control. So what we're trying to do is change the course of a super tanker by stabbing it with a, a limp celery stick. <laughs> well, now the figures get hard to follow. And those people are having their breakfast, their tea or a pint might might lose me here so i'll say the numbers then i'll break them down and you tell me if i've got this right brian yeah okay carbon dioxide uh, is a tiny trace gas it's 0.04 percent of the atmosphere so if you had a, a million uh atoms only 420 of them would be carbon dioxide all the rest is other stuff secondly yeah. uh in terms of the uh, co2 which is absorbed and 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 released tiny amount like you're saying three and a half percent of that tiny amount uh, is made by humans now that's not yeah. even though 0.04 percent that's just the bit of uh, yeah. it's, CO2 that in, goes into in the atmosphere and comes out yeah in, te in technical terms it's nine tenths of bugger all yes okay that's probably um, a better way of putting it yeah, <laughs> thank yeah. you uh, uh, um, uh, so, so so in other words to finish off my point and, and using yeah. lay terms what we're doing is so tiny that the atmosphere wouldn't really even notice whether human beings stopped making RCO2 or not, because most yeah. of its dialogue is natural. Yeah, yeah. And there are two scientists, one of whom is a, a Nobel laureate, a guy called uh, Will Happer, 
And he's worked with a, another uh, scientist called Van, Van Weingarten, who I presume is Dutch. Um, and what they did was they looked at all of the greenhouse gases and looked at the spectrum, the absorption spectrum across the infrared region, which is important for climate. And they actually created a profile of the atmosphere in terms of, of its, uh, its absorption of, of infrared radiation. Uh, and what they then did was having characterized that and checked that what they simulated was what the atmosphere actually does. So they looked at real measurements of, of atmospheric absorption across the entire spectrum, and they compared measurements from satellites uh, in the Arctic, in the Antarctic, and in the temperate region, uh, several locations, and they found the profiles that their model created was virtually identical to the, 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 the real world measurements that they'd taken. And the next thing they did was they took, mm -hmm. sorry, go on. The, no, no, you're going did, there now. You're going there now. Yeah, they then took that model and they they increased by a factor of two the carbon dioxide level. And what they found was that you can barely tell the difference between 400 ppmv of carbon dioxide parts per million volume and 800 ppmv. And according to the the the, the climate crisis guys, that should cause at least a one and a half or one one and a half degree. Um, rise in temperature, but the, the difference in the absorption they found was was about 1%, three watts per square meter or something. It was it was very, very small. Uh, more importantly, it's the water vapor that is key. They found that carbon dioxide at current levels is responsible for about 25% of the warming effect. And if you double the carbon dioxide, it's 25% plus nine tenths of bugger oil because okay. the curve is, a, is um, it's a logarithmic, de a declining logarithmic curve and flattening out at the top. And we're right at the top now. Hmm. So that's quite technical. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for a minute because okay. what I want, some people may be confused by what's being said here, but let me summarize. What you're saying is carbon dioxide does some warming, which is probably good for the planet, actually. But if we put a lot more in, it's like putting more salt on your food. It tastes a bit worse, but it doesn't taste different. So actually, now we're at a stage where putting more carbon dioxide in doesn't make much difference. Is that in lay terms what you're saying? Yes, it is, basically. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's come back to that in a minute, because in the third part, I, I want to ask you what the implications are for the policies we see for life on Earth and what we should be doing. Brian Gregory has brought to us really a big revelation. Carbon dioxide has been at the current, current levels potentially in the past. I'll ask him to share the the name of the research again but we're going to look in a practical sense in an everyday sense what that means all of that with me lambert Turpic, right here on tnt with his expert analysis and opinion this is tnt radio's timothy shea i once worked with the man who was a naval aviator a carrier pilot and as norm worked his way up the ranks he eventually became an xo executive officer on an overnight watch there was an incident on the flight deck and norm handled that with a plum and still he lost his job the next morning because when the captain awoke he didn't enjoy hearing that there had been a problem even though norm had handled it professionally and perfectly with no problem whatsoever you see norm was writing checks on his boss's account and that's a no-no well guess what else is a no-no being second in command of our military the secretary of defense and neither letting your boss, the president, nor even your deputy know that you're going into hospital for cancer surgery and that you're going to be in ICU for four days. 
This is unconscionable. Lloyd Austin, as a retired four-star general, knows better. In fact, he needs to be recalled to active duty, court-martialed, and stripped of his pension. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. What do I love about riding? It's the thrill. The excitement. Riding gives me a sense of freedom. I feel so connected to the road. Riding is like therapy to me. It makes me feel alive. Love riding? Back off. You're with Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to uh, the show. Uh, I'm Lembit Opic and this is TNT. I'm with Brian Gregory, who claims that carbon dioxide is not causing trouble, at least not the carbon dioxide human beings are generating. Uh, Lozzie says, rather interestingly, I'll read to you from the chat. We won't have any plants. It will all be solar panels and wind farms. And I second that emotion. I have solar panels. The most stupid investment I ever made. At least I'm speaking from experience. Uh, in the United Kingdom, probably not the best investment you can make. Uh, with me still, uh, Brian Gregory, who, to summarize, is saying that the tiny amount of carbon dioxide human beings uh, contribute to the atmosphere probably doesn't even really make a measurable difference. Probably makes a difference, but not a measurable one to the climate. Uh, but the big factors are naturally occurring CO2, but even more than that, water vapour. Brian, I cut you off in full flow. You're about yeah. to explain a little bit more why we should believe this. Uh, there's a, a scientist, an ex-NASA scientist, a guy called Roy Spencer. So if you Google Dr. Roy Spencer, it takes you to his site. And he, he and John Christie, another ex-NASA scientist, both retired now, but John Christie's a uh, a consummate atmospheric scientist works at the uh, University of Alabama in Huntsville. And he and uh, Spencer um, graph um, changes in average um, tropospheric temperature from satellite measurements since we've started doing those in the late 70s. And yes, they've gone up about 1.4 Celsius, give or take, over that period. Um, but when you actually look at that on, on a, a scale that we understand, say, you know, we've had this winter, we've had temperatures here as low as minus 15, I think it is. And in the summer, yeah, we get we actually get on a surprisingly on an aircraft runway 43 Celsius this year. But if you on average, our temperatures somewhere around the 30 ish in the summer maximum, really, uh, and, and minus six or something. And if you graph that change uh, on that scale, you know, a scale that means something to humans, that 1.4 Celsius is like flat. You can barely see it. And there's a, a, another climate scientist called Leonard Benson who basically said, if we didn't have all these people measuring climate, we wouldn't even know that, that it had changed based on a 1.4 Celsius change. It's you know not of great relevance. Um, but the other point is to come back to, to uh, Roy Spencer, the, the graph, the Spencer graph measures temperature and averages over the whole globe throughout the year. And this last year, a very interesting thing happened. We had a volcanic eruption uh, at a location called Hunga Tonga. Now, most uh, of volcanic eruptions are generally on sites which are above the ground. So what comes out is mainly CO2 plus, you know, sulfur, all sorts of other bits and pieces, sulfur dioxide. This one was underwater and it was a massive eruption. 
And what it did, it projected a huge amount of water vapor, but not very much carbon dioxide at all, because that was all contained in the ocean temporarily till it degassed out. Um, but it projected a huge plume of water vapor straight up into the stratosphere. And almost immediately, temperatures started to spike upwards because of the unnaturally high levels of water vapor in the atmosphere. And it eventually reached a peak of about, I think it was plus 0.93 Celsius above the, the, the sort of ground, you know, the, the, the baseline, and then started to decline as that water vapor started to percolate back downwards into the bulk of the atmosphere. So it peaked at about 0.93. It's come down to 0.83 in recent months. And what that shows is two things. One, the primary determinant is water vapor because carbon dioxide levels didn't materially change over that period. They're still doing the Mona Loa, you know, gradual rise. Um, but the, the atmospheric temperature went up dramatically because of that water vapor. And the other point is that the the the, the catastrophists say, oh, there's a there's a positive feedback mechanism between carbon dioxide and water vapor that actually sort of continues generating uh, extra energy. Well. Firstly, that completely contravenes the, the first law of thermodynamics, because you've, you've, you've got a certain amount of energy. Um, you can change it, its nature into other forms of energy, but you can't generate it from nothing, which is what this theory of theirs says. And it shows that theory is completely wrong. And it also shows that the, the spike was in, was in temperature was entirely driven by CO2, uh, by water vapour. Sorry, CO2 didn't affect it at all, really. Shows there's no interlink between the two they act as pretty much ideal natural gases that contribute to the temperature but independently and based on their own concentrations and there's no interaction between them right so in, in summary again here we have this big massive underwater volcano uh, yeah. which stuck co2 in the water where, where it's still coming out of but millions yeah. of gallons of water well, were water vapor water vapor were sent out into the sky and that made things warmer and if you believe, which I don't uh, about last year, but if you believe that it was warmer year, it's probably because of the volcano, not because of CO two. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, that, I mean, was you, we've we've seen the warming atmospherically. It, we've measured it uh, after the eruption, and then it reached a peak. But then, of course, the the planet can't sustain that level of uh, stratospheric water vapor, and it, eventually it starts to to come back down again. And when so, it does, that, the warming goes down. One of the factors here uh, I've heard is that cloud formation tends to keep things cooler because it yep. reflects the sun. Well, yep. now we're saying if water vapors in the high atmosphere, it actually increases temperature. Is yep. there a but contradiction? It, there? it doesn't. It can't form clouds up there. Ah, it's no, right. you know, no. It, once it gets down further down, then you can uh, it interacts with condensate mm -hmm. condensation nuclei and forms clouds and low level cloud formation is extremely important um, in, in determining our climate. And, and there's a, um, a Danish scientist called Henrik Svensmark and an Israeli guy called Nir Shaviv who've done a lot of work on this and validated the, their claim that actually low-level cloud, uh, low, high levels of low-level cloud is very important in terms of acting as a, uh, a moderator of our temperature. Um, and that the major influence on that is the interaction between solar radiation and cosmic rays, as I mentioned earlier. And currently we're in a low solar activity phase and cosmic ray incidence has been going up dramatically. 
And it's the cosmic rays that drive high levels of low-level cloud. There's, and this, uh, is not, this is not considered at all by the IPCC models. They ignore it. They assume that, that, it's, that it's just static. Yeah. We're nearly out of time, but I, I want to ask you one more set of questions. Uh, just quickly, uh, Hidden in Plain Sight says, warm, hot conditions were as natural as the ice ages, which formed all of our quaint valleys and hills, particularly in Wales, incidentally. I noticed that. Thanks for that. And Merciless Ming says, global cooling. Now, you implied before, Brian, that far from worrying about global warming, we should be worried about global cooling. Why? Uh, well, one of the kicking off points from this is when you look at what the the computer models the IPCC uses predict against reality. And um, again, coming back to John Christie, he's done a lot of work on this and he's graphed all the models and there's 60 something of them and they show a huge spread in all quite dramatic warming, except for one. And what the, the one that looks like what satellite and balloon measurements look like, you know, the real real world measurements, um, that's a, uh, created by a guy called Habibulu Abdusamatov, who's a Ukrainian. And he and another Ukrainian, uh, Valentina Zarkova, are very concerned that looking at the, 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 the activities of, of the sun, that it's it's gone into a very dormant phase and they're worried we are actually going towards what's called the grand solar minimum which is like what we had the maunder minimum when when he had the little ice age because solar activity in each cycle of the last sort of four or five cycles and i think we're in cycle 24 or 25 now each one has been a lower and lower level of solar activity and of course each time it ratchets down the solar activity the cosmic ray incidence goes up. So low level cloud formation is promoted. And so we get more cloud cover and more reflection of solar radiation back into space that doesn't get absorbed by the oceans or on the land. Uh, Chris Silla asks, do they want to get rid of wood banners too? I heard something along those lines. You're right, Chris Silla. Uh, they do talk about that, which is a very big concern. I remember not long ago, we were told to burn wood because it was a closed cycle. Well, so is coal if you wait, wait long enough. Uh, yeah. Brian, I want to ask you this question now. If yeah. what you say is correct, and I'll leave listeners to believe or not believe, but I am persuaded. I wouldn't have had you on the show if having studied the research myself, I wasn't persuaded. Yeah. If what you say is correct, what should we be doing now in order to tackle what, in that case, amounts to a fake environmental agenda, which is costing us our steelworks in Wales, it's costing us our right to drive and ride petrol and diesel vehicles it's costing mm. us our right to power our society using gas and coal yeah, which is which is why life expectancy over the last hundred years or so has gone from mid to low 40s to middle to high 80s because of the availability of cheap reliable energy and hydrocarbon fuels which which have driven the improvements in our living standards, in health, uh, in in well-being uh, across the globe. And we should be continuing to do that. And the last thing we should be doing is denying the ability of the developing world to harness those technologies to improve living standards. Because when you improve living standards, then people live longer. They don't have seven or eight children because they think most of them are going to die in infancy. And so you are, you're 
also control the size of your population, but naturally not by the crazy methods that people like Bill Gates and these other lunatic eugenicists are promoting in, in the World Economic Forum and the UN even. And the obvious question that I've got to ask you is this. If the science is as persuasive as you say and can be summarized like this, carbon dioxide made by humans can't damage the climate significantly. It's actually our friend and much bigger factors like the sun yep. really determine yep. the ups and downs in our climate and volcanoes. If that's yep. so obvious. Surface there, though, there are other natural cycles, you know, um, ocean, ocean cycles and things, things like that on, on, on other scales. There's a whole raft of factors that really you need to look at. Uh, and the IPCC hardly, well, doesn't look at any of them. Well, to summarise in a simpler way, summarise simpler way, if human beings make a difference, but not really a significant measurable one, and nature does the rest, why has this lie been distributed to the extent that some of the biggest economies in the world are willing to, to ruin themselves? Well, I think you need to look at the motives uh, uh, of the people in the IPCC and the United Nations and places like that. Um, there's some quotes out there. Uh, Google... Christina Figueres, and there's another guy called Otmar Edenhofer. And basically what they say is that climate change is not anything to do with the environment. It's about social and economic control. And they want to basically um, remove the uh, free enterprise capitalism model and replace it with a top-down command and control model, which is essentially Marxo-fascism. You know, it's, it's a new incarnation of Stalin and Hitler sort of unified. And, That's a you know, dark place. And those those people are, are who are not scientists um, are trying to tell us how we should live our lives. I think they should actually be in jail. That's a great place to finish and a great place to start the next time you're on, Brian Gregory. The, the true climate crime is ruining our lives on the basis of a false scientific prospectus. Well, yes. you heard it first here from Brian Gregory on TNT. CO2 may have been at the same levels a couple of hundred years ago as it is today, and a volcano was responsible for almost one degree Celsius of temperature increase because it's water vapor, not carbon dioxide, that drives these things. I thank Brian Gregory, very much fascinating stuff. Uh, I will continue with him in a few weeks' time. The climate always comes back because the the lamestream media try to make it so. We're trying to inject some truth rather than some carbon dioxide into your thinking here. Uh, thanks also to Dan and Stan from Wales who are talking about what looks like a democratic uh, collapso, uh, where they're losing their right to drive it above 20 miles per hour in, in towns and cities at the same time as shutting down steelworks only to export the carbon dioxide anyway. And uh, before that, we had a great chat with Professor Russell Deacon about the ideologies around the world. Well, my time's up. That three hours has gone really fast. I'll be back again uh, next Saturday at 10 a.m. That's uh, Greenwich Mean Time, obviously in the evening in Australia, uh, and at 9 a.m. Uh, on the next day as well. Uh, that's because, in my view, we have a duty to share the facts with you as best we can find them, but more than anything, uh, we have to give you the right to make your own opinions instead of passing off propaganda as fact. Thanks so much to my team. Great to work with. Thanks to my researchers as well. But more than anything, thanks to you for having the open-mindedness to hear the facts and draw your own conclusions. That's what we're all about. I'm Len Topic. This is TNT. Hold up. 